What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Posbon, and you are listening to part two of episode 16 of VGM Generations. And with me, as always, is Aaron Belauchuk. Hello. And Jordan Belinsky. Howdy doody. And if you're just joining us for the first time and missed last week, we're talking about Konami. It's Konami month here on VGM Generations, and we're talking about all Konami developed and published and Konami influenced games. <laughs> all the new stuff, too, because... That's yeah. the best. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> only we're only talking from PS4 forward. That's yeah. the only <laughs> the did, did newest they do generation. Like DDR too. Did they do like DDR? They did like yeah. all the DDRs, all yeah. the singing karaoke. Well, yeah, you were saying and, karaoke. And also is Guitar like, Freak, I think, as well was Konami. Sure. So was it? Yeah, I think so. Guitar Freaks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pachinko machines. Pachinko machines. Yeah, yeah. we're only covering pachinko yeah. machines. <laughs> we just play pachinko machine sounds all month. But uh, it's Jordan's turn to go first this week. So go ahead, buddy. What do you have for us this week? All right. Um, 1992, Konami released a game called Bucky O'Hare on the Nintendo. It actually got a world release. Uh, came out in Europe in 93, Japan and North America in 92. Uh so for those that don't know, Bucky O'Hare was based off a, off a manga, manga series um, that was created in, that was released in 1984. Bucky O'Hare and the Toad Wars was a cartoon series in 1991. So I want to say capitalizing on Star Wars and Ninja Turtles and everything well, cool an, about the 80s. Anthropomorphic animals. It's, you it know, was big. Yeah. Sounds like it was ripe for a, a Battletoads crossover, though. Oh, yeah. 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 That would have been cool. <laughs> <laughs> they would have had to fight because if you don't know Bucky O'Hare, the Toads are the bad guys. Yeah. So uh, a year after the cartoon series, they followed it up with uh, the first video game. Um, there was actually two video games. There was an arcade release, uh, which was a side-scroller beat em up and then there was the Nintendo platformer. And if you remember Konami's platformers in the early days, they were all pretty good. Uh, some say, and even Wikipedia, uh, I don't know why Wikipedia has an opinion, but it's listed <laughs> as, uh, Bucky O'Hare is listed as Konami's answer to Mega Man. And I don't know how I feel about that. I don't, th I see similarities and they're both fun. I don't know. Do you guys know the video game? I've never played Bucky O'Hare. Yeah, no. I don't know it well enough to say either way. I'll, I'll, I'll give a brief description of the game. You, you tell me what you think. So it does start off with a level select. You play as the titular character. I like saying titular. Titular <laughs> character, Bucky O'Hare. He's, he's a green rabbit. Uh, he's the, also a captain of the Righteous Indignation spaceship. He's got <laughs> what a, a name. <laughs> he's got a crew of. That's a great name. <laughs> a crew of furries. He's got Jenny the cat, Deadeye Duck, Blinky these uh, the I guess Cyclops robot. He's got <laughs> I guess <laughs> Blinky <laughs> Willie Willie Dewitt, the only human on the team. It's uh, an awfully normal name. Yeah, because he's he's <laughs> yeah. he's the yeah, boring human. Exactly. He actually. Uh, he slipped through like a like a portal and got like transported onto the ship and some captain and the game master. Yeah, kind of totally. Yeah. And then the uh, the final character uh, who's not actually in the game but uh, in the series, his name is Bruiser. He's the Beetlejuicean Berserker Baboon. <laughs> wow, That's I just like he's a colorful cast. He's yeah. the big dumb like you know, break your face, ask questions later kind of character. Okay. He's good. He's good. So far, I'm going to say it reminds me more of Star Fox than I was just going to say, this sounds better than Star Fox. <laughs> well, it sounds like Star Fox with like a more colorful cast. There was yeah, totally. actually a death battle between Bucky O'Hare and, <laughs> and Star, Star Fox. Fox. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Actually. Anyways, um, they all sound better than Slippy. So <laughs> yeah. So 
Well, so here's where it kind of like, I guess you could see the Mega Man similarity. So it does start off with a level Nine select. robot masters. <laughs> uh, Choose your toad and they all look identical. You're, so your crew's actually been, I guess, kidnapped. Okay. You, the game starts off, they're all, they have all been like, uh, your ship's been like taken out by a toad, a toad mothership. Uh, your crew's been kidnapped and they're sort of been like, um, like placed on these different planets. So you start on a level select screen, kind of looks like Star Fox where you're in the ship <laughs> and then you like sort of pick which planet you want to go to. Uh, depending on which planet you pick, you will uh, fight a boss and rescue one of your teammates. And then oh, once okay. you rescue all of your teammates from all of the four different planets, then your team is back together and you go on and try to take on the mothership. So does rescuing a teammate also grant you a new power? Yes, it does. Oh. But you don't actually get their power. You become them. So like Castlevania oh, 3, right. you can hit um, select or whatever button, and you can swap between the characters. And each character obviously has a special unique power, and some of the levels are dependent that you have that power. So... It's, yeah, I don't know. It's not Mega it's, Man. It sounds Mega Man-ish. It's like yeah. if Mega Man and Star Fox had a, yeah. had a love child. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, in a nutshell, that's kind of the Bucky O'Hare video game. Um, the composer is Tomoko Sumiyama, and uh, she composed for Konami for a couple of games. Um, I have Laser Invasion as one. And then everybody's favorite baseball game, Base Wars. <laughs> yeah. Get to Ro talk about baseball games Robots again. that play baseball. Check out Base Wars. That's a good one. But uh, so she composed uh, one of the best soundtracks on the Nintendo, Bucky O'Hare. The whole soundtrack from beginning to end is fantastic. I'm going to play the unofficial first level of the game. You need to play the green planet first because the character that you, the teammate that you save is Blinky the robot. And he has this special power that you need in order to play through some of the other levels. He has this special, um, this special, some sort of blaster that breaks bricks and he can fly. So you kind of <laughs> need that power right away. So he's OP and you he's, want the OP power he's, first. He's weak, but for some reason he can fly and break ice. Mm -hmm. So you need that in order to save the rest of the characters. So because of that, you have to play the green planet first. So let's listen to the green planet from Bucky O'Hare.
know, there's not a lot of research that uh, that's leads me anywhere on Bucky O'Hare, the video game. But um, I stumbled across a album on Bandcamp. It's called the, the I guess the group or the uh, various artists collaboration is called the Righteous Indignation, named after Bucky's ship. And it's uh, a group of DJs and uh, chiptune artists. They came together and they did a Bucky O'Hare tribute album. And every single song is based off the NES soundtrack. So huh. that's pretty cool. Yeah, How's their it. cover of The Green Planet? Um, if I can be honest, <laughs> <laughs> if I hope they're not listening, I wasn't really a fan of the album, oh, okay. but I didn't listen to the whole thing. I, I, I flipped through a couple tracks and... Uh, it can be hit and miss on a collaborative album, it's, right? You, there might yeah. be some good tracks. And well, the you thing may is, not be a fan of every artist. I, I think the album's good, but mm. for me, what I really like about the Green Planet theme song is the um, the pacing of the song has like this really high energy rock and roll. Like the game is just starting, and you're already fired up. And I didn't get that feeling with the remix. Mm. So, but that's not to say it's not worth listening to. I'm sure there's other great songs on there. Um, but if you're interested, um, just go on Bandcamp and search uh, The Righteous Indignation and it's free or name your price. So if you're a fan of Bucky O'Hare music, I'm sure there's a lot of remixes on OC Remix, but Probably, yeah. uh, listen to the original soundtrack. That's, well, you know, it's one of those games that's popular enough to get a tribute album. So that's, you know, that's that saying says something. something. Yeah, for sure. And there might have been, you know, I, I mentioned to Mike yesterday when we were uh, hanging out that. I picked it as my <laughs> second pick of the month on purpose because now if he's if he's going to follow suit, he may play another song for the closing this episode. Opening and closing. We'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, if uh, I guess we'll we'll leak that secret out now in, in case anyone hasn't picked up to who's been listening. I, I'm sure most of you have, but um, whoever goes first in the podcast, whatever they pick, I'll pick two other tracks from their pick for the intro and closing of the of the uh of the podcast and Jordan just clued onto that. So now he's going to start <laughs> being very selective about his favorite picks in the month. Yeah. This soundtrack is so awesome. I, uh, I purposely planned it for this week. So yeah, well, it's funny that I've never heard of Bucky or like I've heard of Bucky O'Hare, but never played it and don't. Yeah. And like, you know, everything you just told me is I know infinitely more now about it than I ever did. But if you, you know, it's, it's funny. I've always known of it, but, um, you know, there's a lot of games on the NES library. There's like over a thousand games yeah. and, uh, you know, nobody can know every game, but this apparently came across as sort of a rare hidden gem for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Like when I search it online, it comes up on, you know, top 10 hidden gems on the NES. And I see it on a lot of different lists. Like nobody knows of this game or they know of it, but they've never played it. And that kind of surprised me because Konami wasn't obscure and, Maybe it just had to do with the the Bucky O'Hare franchise. Well, I was always more aware of the cartoon than I was of the actual game. I didn't know there was a game, but yeah. uh, I like the Bucky O'Hare cartoon was on my radar just being a general animation fan. So. Yeah, it it was a neat neat cartoon. Like I, uh, you know, I, I I watched it a couple episodes just leading into the podcast in case it gave me something to talk about. <laughs> so was it? And, sorry, did you say it was a like was it anime or was it? No, it was. Um, just standard like a North, North American, American okay. release type animation. Did you say it was based on a manga originally? It was, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Actually, Sorry, that's where I got the, that. Yeah. Uh, the creator, his name is, I believe it was Larry Hama. Um, he worked for Marvel and he did mostly writing. He wrote for G.I. Joe, Wolverine, and Elektra through certain periods of those series, but um, Bucky O'Hare was like sort of his crown jewel creation. Oh, okay. So that was his kind of thing he did. Apparently, he created Bucky in uh, 1978. And when I talked about like the tie-ins to Star Wars, like you could see it came out 
like Star Wars was 77, right? Mm -hmm. And so then 78, he has like, <laughs> you know, Space and, Rabbit. Space Rabbit. <laughs> With a robot. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then shortly after, Ninja Turtles launches and then he finally gets it out there. Because according to Wikipedia, like Bucky was created in 78, but he didn't get his first actual release until 84. Oh, and wow. that's a pretty long time for uh, like... How, how long does it take to really cook a story about a green rabbit that's flying around <laughs> in a spaceship? Well, that's the thing is like he created it, but there was no appetite or market for it until, you know, like Ninja, Ninja Turtles, Turtles became a thing and he, and then he rode that wave. Green animals are cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> mutant animals. Like I swear to God, my childhood is just mutant, mutant animals. animals yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did you, um, did it get any more console sequels? You said there was an arcade game and then this. Yeah, that was it. That was as it. As far okay. as I know, there was nothing else for Bucky O'Hare after that. And, um, I really wish there was something out there for Bucky. Like there, I don't think there was ever another cartoon or a movie or another game. Well, where's the Kickstarter for Bucky O'Hare too? Uh, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> after this week <laughs> there, there is a company that I started following. They're called boss fight studios and they do all these like special release action figures. And I just saw that they're putting out a set of Bucky O'Hare figures hmm. Um, I've been wanting to pull the trigger on that. So I'm kind of following them, seeing what, where, where that leads, but they yeah. got a really cool looking Bucky O'Hare. The thing is, I don't know if there was ever a Bucky O'Hare toy line, but I feel like if there was, it fell in the same realm as like the Ninja Turtles, the GI Joes, the mass produced toys of the eighties and nineties, where, um, they looked pretty cool, <laughs> but they didn't look like exactly like yeah, the, they uh, the very cartoon good. show. Yeah. So Boss Fight Studios, the ones that they're working on, look like replicas from the cartoon. They look really cool. So. Yeah. Well, Bucky O'Hare seems like a franchise that was tailor-made for action figures the same way Ninja Turtles oh, was. Yeah. 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 Like there's so many different characters. They're all mutants yeah, and, exactly. and anthropomorphic well, animals. Everything in that like and, yeah. 80s, early 90s, it was like, all right, we got a cartoon. Now we're going to have a game. Then we're going to have action figures. Then we're going to have plushies. <laughs> then we're going to have a movie. Yeah, like then we're going to have another movie. Well, that, <laughs> nine times out of 10, it was we've got an action figure now we got to make a cartoon yeah it that's was, true it actually sometimes it went the other way yeah and then the cartoon yeah yeah. yeah yeah that's why there were so many ninja turtle toys because they were cranking out the toys and yeah. then they were trying to find a way to work them into the episode and then pokemon took that formula and perfected it yeah <laughs> well that With was a card game that, but yeah that's where we got battle toads i believe it was because of the um the big mutant animal craze of the 80s and 90s from like ninja turtles yeah so yeah the only, uh, the, only, the only other thing I'll say about Bucky O'Hare is uh, if you want to get the game, the, the original copy of the NES cartridge, get it now because every, every time I see it in a store, it's going up in price. I think it's like getting closer to $200 now. Woo. So yeah, so it's it's Maybe. one it's one for for investment. Yeah, yeah. Get, get it, play it once, and then just seal <laughs> it, seal it in cellophane. And if you're a collector, yeah. Maybe yeah. the uh, the collecting market bubble will burst soon, and it'll come down in price. I don't know. I doubt it. Yeah. Anyway, all right, Aaron, what do you got for this this week? What do I got? Well, it's good that we were talking about uh, Ninja Turtles there. <laughs> that, that leads right into Speaking me. Speaking of segues. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because we all know, I mean, if you're a fan of Konami at all, they've got a couple of really prominent uh, franchises that they're known for, one of them being Castlevania and Ninja Turtles. has been a license that they have had forever. And yeah. thank God they got Ninja Turtles because a lot of the license stuff went to LJN. Yeah. And we, know, we know how those <laughs> X-Men games turned out. Well, I was just thinking about LJN. No, no, it was something else. I was kind of hoping we'd do an LJN, you know. We'll an do an LJN, LJN week. month. We'll do a whole month you know, of LJN month. and then I'll just do Roger Rabbit the whole time. Yeah. They, they were widely known as making horrible games, but I think they actually published all the games. Yeah. They, uh, like when we took, when we had 
uh, Kusoge month, yeah. a lot of the games I talked about were the ones that were developed for LJN. Mm -hmm. So if we ever went back there, that would be awesome. <laughs> well, anyone who's ever watched the uh, Angry Video Game Nerd knows his like laughing, joking, hatred for LJN. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, we were talking, like you mentioned Ultra Games, of course. So Ultra actually was the label, the Konami label that published my game. So uh, I'm talking about Game Boy, uh, Fall of the Foot Clan, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Fall of the Foot Clan. Or if you live in Europe, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Hero Turtles, yeah. <laughs> Fall of the Foot Clan. <laughs> I didn't know that, really. Was yeah. that? <laughs> well, I, there's a whole story behind that, and Jordan probably knows it better than I do. But uh, there was a big controversy in the 80s when uh, Ninja Turtles came out that they didn't want to associate them with violence and weapons, and ninjas in particular. Like, you couldn't say ninja, and you couldn't even, like, show certain weapons and that kind of thing. So they were rebranded in Europe as the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, and they even changed the intro to, like, change the lyrics of the song. Oh, really? And they changed all of the shots with Michelangelo because so, they didn't want to show nunchucks in the intro, so they changed it all to, like, Michelangelo using a grappling hook. So. Yeah, he what? had the grappling hook in a, in the later in the series. They, like, got rid of his nunchucks yeah. and gave him the grappling hook all the time. Oh, my God, I never knew this. Yeah, but it's weird because... So it's okay for Leonardo's katanas <laughs> and Raph's size to like be <laughs> metal weapons and well, swords like, versus like Donatello's staff is basically just a long nunchuck. Like, yeah. what's the difference? <laughs> it's got two sticks and a string. I, I know that. I know that there was like this big thing. Um, this I only know this because I'm such a fan of Bruce Lee. But like, I know that there was like a thing. Like after Bruce Lee started to get popular, really popular, um, and his movies started getting popular like kids wanted nunchucks and like a bunch of a bunch of like companies started making like foam ones and stuff mm. like that or rubber ones and um kids really got into it and started hurting themselves a lot and uh and i think I, like i'm wondering if it's somehow related to that in some it way that like, there's probably a crazy they already had like a like bad that. a yeah. bad nunchuck reputation or something <laughs> Where a bunch of kids got their hand on fake nunchucks and started injuring themselves well, they probably got one of those like blown up in the tabloids kind of things or like our our nunchucks ruining our nation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kids corrupted. Yeah. <laughs> but, over but anyway, over time, I, I just, on that note, over time, uh, like properties would come out in Europe that would actually be branded Ninja Turtles. Like the live action movies were actually branded Ninja Turtles. Okay. And then like at various periods throughout, uh, you know, throughout the years, things would actually start to come out that said Ninja Turtles on them. And I think largely today it's mostly known as Ninja Turtles. Yeah. There's probably no hero turtles anymore. Yeah, yeah. The, well, the, the, that's probably a big point of nostalgia for you know '80s kids from from Europe. Yeah, the the Hero Turtles. Yeah, the Hero Turtles. Well, yeah. over time we just called them TMNT. Then yeah. it didn't matter what TMNT stood for. Yeah. You just call them Ninja Turtles yeah. or whatever. Well, I've seen the acronym reported TMHT as well. Oh, really? So, yeah. Yeah, I did see that huh. actually written down a few places. Cool, crazy, yeah, interesting little fact there. So, uh, Ninja Turtles: Follow the Foot Clan for the Game Boy came out in the weird thing. The information I found said it was developed and released in August of 1990, which just makes it sound like they only took a month to make it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, we don't, we don't have a lot of time. We got a whole month. Let's slap together. A well, in under a month, right? It had to be <laughs> squished into <laughs> August somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so it I, came out in 1990. <laughs> had to meet the release date at the uh, at the end of the month, so less yeah. than a month. Yeah. As and I, I'm pretty sure this was the first um, handheld Ninja Turtles game. Ever. I think so, yeah. And uh, it, it was a standard sort of Ninja Turtles game. So the plot was, you know, you can play, you can pick one of the four turtles and you play a series of levels where your objective is to A, save April, and B, destroy Shredder and Krang. 
This is the only one I haven't played in the early series. Do you save April in every level? No, no. <laughs> you 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 play the first level, and I think you save April after that. And okay. then it's got these great... Between each level, and every level is the same, it's just a side-scrolling beat-em-up where you can either use your turtle's main weapon. Yeah. If you jump in attack, it's a kick. Yeah. And if you duck in attack, you throw a shuriken. Cool. Oh, so, that's cool. So it was more advanced than the... Uh, which was it, the second one? Yeah. You didn't have uh, anything to throw in the second well, one. Well, this one was actually good. Like the turtle, like the sprite work was really, really nice. And your turtle character was quite big on the screen. So it That's made it tough a, for Game Boy, right? Yeah, it was tough for Game Boy. And it made it kind of cheap because, you know, a lot of times enemies would like leap in from off screen. You get a Foot Clan member jumping in from off screen. He would like land right on top of you because your turtle took up so much of the yeah. real estate on the screen. But it did look fantastic. Like these were great sprites for the turtles, the mousers, the, the Foot Clan. And then after every level, you get like a little sort of almost like a cutscene. It would be like um, just a still image of the turtles. You know, they'd jump out of the sewer grate and they'd land on the street and they'd be like, we've got to save April kind of thing. Yeah, I like and, that. Yeah. Classic. They, they, yeah. they do that in other games so yeah. I can picture it exactly, exactly. like you saying, yeah. And there's sometimes there's little, uh, there's like it's very simple animation like of them leaping out of the sewer grate. Or there's like a close-up one of the turtles in an attack pose. Or there's like a big shot of the Technodrome and then them like jumping into the Technodrome. So it, I felt that this game was actually pretty advanced for the time. It, yeah. It seemed, it seemed really good. And uh, it also, uh, it had like every level had a boss. So you'd fight Shredder, you'd fight Krang, and Bebop and Rocksteady and Baxter Stockman were the bosses in there as well. So it was a good sampling of the cartoon show. Yeah. And on that note, one thing I really loved about this game is that it used the theme song from the cartoon show awesome. in there. Now, the composer on this game was named uh, Michiru Yamane. And I know I'm getting that right because as I was saying before the podcast, these guys, <laughs> like I actually went out and I found a video of the composer of her saying her own name. So I can. So it's the most right we've <laughs> yeah, ever gotten yeah. it. It's her YouTube channel. She's got hundreds of videos of her just yeah. saying her name. Yeah. She, she said, Yamane Michiru desu. So that, uh, you know, she, she, if she's getting it right, then I've got to be, if I copy that, I've got to be getting it right. Right. Yeah. You got to be getting close at least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's actually uh, well-known in the Konami pantheon of uh, composers. Cause, um, what she, else has she done? Well, she's really well-known uh, for the Castlevania series. Her first okay. game was Castlevania Bloodlines. And she actually was the sole composer for Symphony of the Night. Wow. And as wow. most of us know, Symphony of the Night is like the most famous Castlevania game practically. Yeah. It's the one people for sure. put on a pedestal like this is the pinnacle of the series. Even, even just those three games is a great resume. I'm sure she's composed more. But she's composed a lot. Yeah. She actually left um, Konami in 2008 and has is continues wow. to actually compose today. But she composed from like 1988, 1989 until 2008. So that's, you know, a long time with the company. Yeah. And she also still performs in concert today with um, mostly Castlevania music because that's what she's most well known for. And there's, I guess, at concert she's performed on both like the harpsichord. She's a pianist uh, traditionally, but she's performed on the harpsichord and also on the big pipe organ. So which is like oh, perfect cool. for Castlevania. Yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, that's what you want. Exactly. So um, all that said, that's all the backstory I've got on the composer and the music in the game. So let's listen to this is the ending theme. So after you beat the game, this is uh, the ending theme from Fall of the Foot Clan.
thing I wanted to ask you is you said down in B was the shurikens. Now I'm in my head, I'm like, oh yeah, you couldn't do that in the other Turtles games because when you press down, you actually come down on the screen because you can go up and yeah, down yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like any traditional fighter. So what is this on like a flat 2D plane? It's on a flat, it's a, just like, a 2D side scroller. Yeah. So standard 2D side scroller. You see it from the side at all times. That's there's no depth. Except yeah, there's, so there's, it's like Castlevania. No yes, it's like, yes, it's, it's, yeah. it's exactly that. Though, like I said, it had awesome, like one thing that was unique about it was the big sort of cutscenes where you'd have like really big artwork, which I really loved. And then on top of that, it had these bonus levels where they were to they were completely hidden. You had to like find a certain part of the level. You'd like go underneath a pipe and then you'd duck down at the right spot and it would take you to this bonus level where you'd play these games of chance against Krang. Wow, that's crazy. I've yeah. never, that's, that's never happened in any other game for Ninja Turtles. I know. And it was it was fun because like some of them were like target shooting. One of them was like a game of skill where it was like almost like skeet shooting, target shooting. And if you won the game, you'd get your all your health restored for that turtle. And then if there was another one where it was like almost and it was an elimination game where elimination game where there's a bunch of shurikens on the screen yeah. in rows, and then you select some and you eliminate them, and you and Krang take turns eliminating these <laughs> things, and and the object is to have one remaining. You're like sitting around the table with Krang, like it's this birthday party, and you're yeah. playing little games, and then it's like, okay, enough of the games, let's fight to the death. It's so <laughs> awesome though because when you when you actually beat Krang, and you, as you take turns, there's a picture of a turtle, and there's a picture of Krang, and, and when it's their turn, they kind of like point at the shurikens that they're doing. <laughs> And then when somebody wins and somebody loses, like one person's really happy. And then Krang's like super disappointed, surprised <laughs> that he lost. It's really, really good. <laughs> That's hilarious. And uh, one, th one reason I picked the ending theme too is because it starts with this really great sort of jazzy thing where it does like the post game. I was going to say it's super jazzy. <laughs> yeah. And it does this post game rat where it's almost like playing on the bass. Doom, -doom, -doom, yeah. Doom, -doom, yeah. It's like the coming out of your shells tour. Yeah. They're all up on stage with instruments <laughs> yeah. and text scrolls up the screen and explains what happened. Like turtles save April and they'd send, you know, Krang back to Dimension X or whatever yeah. the hell and, and all of this stuff. And, and it's this happy kind of thing. And then after that, when it cuts into the credits proper, like after the story part, it cuts into the credits proper and it is the cartoon theme song. Yeah. Yes. Which, a good rendition. And it is yeah, a it was really, really good. really good rendition of yeah. that. So I picked it because it was the best of both worlds from this soundtrack, which is again, good across the board, but it yeah. had both like the weird turtles upbeat jazz and the uh, theme song itself. So yeah, that was awesome. And with this game, this game has, has sort of special meaning to me because uh, at one point in my time, and I may have actually mentioned this on the podcast before, uh, before I was like super hoarding collector with my video games, I had decided as part, if you don't know what Operation Christmas Child is, it's this, it's this charity where what you do is you fill a shoebox full of like toys and games and little knickknacks and then you seal it up and for Christmas they, they send it to another country for a child in need who wants toys and games. So one Christmas, I took my Game Boy, my Game Boy Light, this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a, a pile of batteries, and most of my Game Boy games, I think I saved about four or five of my Game Boy games, and I had dozens, so I yeah. put a ton of games in here too. And I was thinking to myself, man, whoever gets this is going to be like, this is going to make their day. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, I, I'm a little worried. I'm not even sure it got over there, because after the fact, it occurred to me that maybe sending things with batteries wasn't... Uh, wasn't allowed. I don't even I don't know. know. Yeah. So I hate to think that I, I wasted my Game Boy, but well, somebody, best case scenario, somebody at like the sorting <laughs> yeah. factory was like, well, put this in my bag. <laughs> best case scenario, somebody got a Game Boy with a ton of awesome games. Yeah. But of the games that I saved, um, Fall of Foot Clan is one that I held behind oh, because cool. it had special meaning to me. So yeah. I still have that game. That's awesome. 
Yeah. So you just gave him all the crap games. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I had crap games, but I liked everything that I had. Yeah. And a lot of them were really good games too. Yeah. Like, just keep the ones that were special to you. But yeah, there were certain ones which had special meaning. I think it was like the Final Fantasy Legend games, um, Super Mario Land, and Follow the Foot Clan, essentially. Yeah. And Pokemon. So. Now, you mentioned, I just wanted to talk about this before we get off Follow the Foot Clan. You mentioned this was Ultra Games. Yeah. And... um. If you guys, you guys probably know better than I do, but this is this is kind of back in the days of Nintendo, of where they had uh, very strict limits on how many games publishers could publish. They controlled the media, which is how they did it. So they controlled the carts mm. um, for the uh, NES and also the Game Boy. Otherwise, they didn't get the seal of, of seal quality. of quality. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the official Nintendo yeah, the seal. rules were you couldn't publish. More than, More than a certain amount yeah. of games. Yeah, so. a certain amount of games per year. So how publishers got around that was that they. Uh, built these little like side companies that I don't know if at the time people knew that it was a side company, but I think they had, they still had to meet all these really strict limits. So it wasn't like an easy thing to create another company. Like you couldn't create kind of like you couldn't use the same guys in the office and then just like say, Oh, you're also working for ultra. It was like, (laughs) it was very strict on like, you know, it has to be, you have to create this many games. They have to be up to our standards. If we don't like it, you're getting it back, fix it and then try again. Yeah. And like, and um, there was a lot of rebellion against this at the time. I don't know how much we've talked about that, but I know the I game, the books, up, both yeah. you and I have read of go into detail about it. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, on a, on a sort of weird tangent with, with that, I don't know if um, people are fans of the author, Stephen King, certainly you've heard of him, Yeah. but he publishes a ridiculous ton of books. Like he is always, publishing books. He's a huge library, but he also has an alter ego named Richard Bachman. And so he publishes book un, books under the name Richard Bachman as well. And I always figured it's the same sort of thing. It's like he publishes, he's <laughs> publishing so many books under his own his name. His publisher and, is and like, his publisher too is like, it's too many. Yeah. So it's like, well, all right, well, I'll just create another person and I'll publish a bunch of books under this name as well. And I always figured he had to like keep publishing all these books and he had to create this alter ego to do it because his head is always constantly filling slowly with stories and he has to write them down or his head will explode. <laughs> <laughs> is my theory. Sounds like so, it. Yeah. yeah. I, JK Rowling did the same thing. She published under an alter ego, but I think that was more about the anonymity, but then the, that lasted like all of a minute before <laughs> well, the whole internet figured it out. That happens a lot in, uh, in, in TV as well. And movies there, um, I forget what the name is side studios, but there's no, there's a specific person that exists on IMDb. I forget what I, I was looking at it last week and I don't remember the name, but it's a name, uh, that, that, um, a lot of different people use for when they're sort of like backed into a corner and they're working on a really shitty project and they don't want their real name it's attached like to it. John Doe thing. Yeah, oh, really? so they, but, but it's not like this one name that this one person uses. It's this one name that a lot of different people use. <laughs> so this one guy is like known only for doing crap. Yeah, like his, his IMDB <laughs> like profile, profile is like all of these horrible, horrible shows, oh, okay. but they're actually from a lot of different people. But they just like, that it's like, this has been overproduced to shit and this is not my original vision. This is garbage. I don't want my real name attached to it. It seems so weird to me that you could even do that in this day and age, right? Like I can see like back in the day getting away with that, like before the internet, you know, you could be like, oh no, I'm not this guy. I'm this other guy because (laughs) on the six pieces of paper, you need to sign your name. You just sign another name. But now with like the internet, it's like, no, we have pictures of this guy on set. It was this guy who directed yeah. this movie. It wasn't this other made up name. The thing yeah. too with Ultra Games is it's not like Konami was their like premium brand and Ultra was like their B team stuff. No, no, Ultra no. had some great stuff. Yeah, they were just getting past that limit. Yeah, that's all it was. It was just them. Yeah. But it's almost a feels way to like get around Nintendo's rules. If you're a brand and you kind of want to promote your main brand, you say like Konami is who we are. Konami is our main brand. Anything that is like solid gold as far as a game, we are releasing under the Konami label, right? 
But, you know, in this case, Ultra was a secondary subsidiary label that had some real hits. Still had great stuff, yeah. yeah. Very cool. All right, so yeah, I just wanted to talk a little bit about that. So now it's uh, my turn. And uh, for this week, I have picked for you uh, a game not quite as obscure <laughs> as my last <laughs> Still one. obscure, but less still obscure. Still obscure, but slightly less obscure, but I still get to talk about a weird Japanese-only uh, machine. And the game is called Space Manbo. And... Uh, Developed and published by Konami, and the system is the MSX Two or Two Plus, uh, depending on played on either. Um, and this is in the year 1989. So, what uh, Space Manbo is is it's a scrolling shooter that looks and plays quite a bit like Gradius. Uh, so it's that you know side scrolling. There's enemies coming in from all directions, and you got to shoot them as they come, get power ups, all sorts of stuff. Um, Space uh, Manbo uh, is the Japanese name for the ocean sunfish or mambo. So I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's this kind of big, just giant U-shaped fish and the fins are in the back. And uh, it's named, the game is named Space Manbo because like the the final boss, the ship of the final boss is shaped a lot like that. Your ship is sh- shaped a little bit like that, but the final boss is absolutely that shape. With so, a name like that, it sounds ridiculous. Like it's like... Um, you're in outer space and it's like a rainbow made out of men. Oh, oh yeah. No, just <laughs> naked naked men bow. rainbows yeah, exactly. in space. Just, just wait till I get into the story. <laughs> I'm going to read you guys the story because it's so fantastic. So um, so yeah, uh, just to go into the game a little more, different power-ups, wide shot bombs, missiles, all that standard stuff. And then uh, you have the differences. You have the gun mounts and then you can rotate them around you. Um, so you, they can shoot uh, vertically or horizontally depending on the way you spin them around you. So that's a bit different. So you had a radius. dual analog controller, right? Uh, keyboard. This was a keyboard <laughs> oh, wow. controller because on the MSX and the MSX two, um, they're they're that totally that eight bit um, you know game consoles old school stuff. Uh, so and then so what makes this game a little unique is that even though it's been re released on the Wii and the Wii U eShop, it's still and also on some mobile devices, it's never been released outside of Japan. Mm. So um, but so before we go into the music, I just got to read you the story. So here's the, here's the story. Now here's the thing. I don't know if this story is exactly canon because I just found it on a website and like some of the details seems like there's no way this was written in somewhere, but I got to <laughs> read it because it's so good. So in the year 189 of the stellar calendar, humanity happened upon the ruins of an ancient land. And if the decor is anything to go by rather decadent and malicious civilization and sent an archeological crew to explore them. However, the crew managed to activate the ruins defense system. The system operated by operated by identifying the soul system as the intruder's origin and then launched the sunfish, Manbu being the Japanese for sunfish, an ultimate weapon biomechanical starship capable of destroying an entire solar system protected by an impregnable force field bubble. Wow. <laughs> so they so they sent something to destroy the universe. The solar, the solar system. system. Yeah. Oh, the solar system. <laughs> In which the yeah the yeah. ship originated. So the surviving member of the crew, however, find a chance to stop the sunfish by using an unearthed Manbu J, Junior Sunfish, <laughs> <laughs> Scooty Puff Junior, uh, fighter and activating a teleportation system in the deepest part of the ruins. One pilot, clever mule, <laughs> oh, that is the worst. Yeah, that's man. really bad. Can actually get inside the force bubble and destroy the sunfish from there. So um, right before we listen to the music, what I'm going to play you is like two parts. I'm going to play you. So there's kind of like an opening cinematic and it has two pieces of music. The first part is kind of just like is like kind of zoomed way out graphics. 
But then the second part, which is super awesome, is it zooms into uh, Cleaver Mule and like it's like this music as he's getting like pumped up, ejects out of the ship, gets into the like the the Sunfish Junior and like blasts off. So we're going to listen to that and then we're going to listen to the uh, background uh, music from level one. So yeah, <laughs> Space Bamboo. <laughs> I, I don't even know what one. to say to any of that. <laughs> Let's go. I had to read you guys that story because it's so crazy. <laughs> so what is his name? Clever or Cleaver? Yeah, you said Cleaver Both. Mule. Cleaver Mule, not Clever Mule. Oh, did I say Clever? At one point, yeah. Well, yeah, both, sorry, it's Cleaver both, Mule. They both sound great. Because <laughs> I thought Clever Mule sounded like the worst call sign. Cleaver Mule? It's not, I don't know. Cleaver. It's, it's not quite as dopey sounding. Yeah. <laughs> So walk Last us through the zoom in part. Yeah. So like you're, you're just sitting in the ship and then it's like one of those cool things. Cause like you rarely saw like eight bit graphics do like a very, like try to do like a, a zoom in really tight on a person sometimes, yeah. but yeah, so it zooms in, you get in the ship and then yeah, he blasts off and then you hear the level one music. That's interesting. Cause they didn't really do zoom in effects except when the mode seven chip came out. Well, but remember this is not the yeah, oh, NES, this is I know. MSX too. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the MSX console and then MSX two is just the later version of it. So uh, the MSX console was developed by 
uh, Microsoft in Japan. Um, and what they were trying to do was create, um, similar to like the VHS um, system democratized video in North America and around the world. Um, they were basically just trying to create a platform that everyone could, could build a system for. So like, just like there were, uh, you know, RCA VHS players, Sony VHS players, um, JVC VHS players, everybody had the same, uh, schematic and then could just build whatever system they wanted. This, uh, Microsoft Japan was trying to do the same thing with the home computer. So they wanted a universal game system. They, yeah, yeah, like a universal 8-bit home computer system, similar to like the Atari, Apple, Commodore systems. Yeah. So this caught on uh, quite well in uh, Japan, but um, in the US and in the UK, it never really caught on. And they they wanted to, they were kind of more sticking with the Atari, Apple, Commodore American developed stuff. Mm. So, cause it, it sounded like in the articles I read, it sounded kind of like a nationalist thing. It was kind of like, we don't want this Japanese junk kind of thing. Um, so the, uh, the original one predates the Famicom. Um, and then some big franchises, uh, big game franchises actually got their start on the system, uh, namely Bomberman and Metal Gear hmm. and Poyo Poyo, which if you don't know what it is, it's one of those puzzle matching games. But, the, and I just only wanted to mention that because Poyo Poyo Tetris yeah, on the is Switch. coming out for the Switch yeah. and, or has come out. I'm not sure. I think it's out now. It's out. Yeah. And it's doing well. So that's the only reason <laughs> I'm mentioning Poyo Poyo. Um, now, Metal Gear, like you mentioned, originally came out in the MSX, but... Uh, yeah, the very first one. What, so the one that appeared in the NS is a port of the original... Yes, one. it's okay. a port. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and like the uh, like the system I talked about last week, um, this um, system was capable, and especially the MSX2, of almost arcade-quality graphics. Like, these games are really good-looking. Um, and especially, um, especially Space Manbo, it's considered one of the best-looking games on the system. Um... And then to go into the chips a bit, um, the Yamaha. So last week I talked about the Yamaha. What was it? Twenty one fifty one. This one had the Yamaha twenty one forty nine F, which is actually even though it came later, or actually sorry, just before, it was kind of a cheaper. Um, it was a cheaper chip. It didn't didn't have quite the sound uh, profile of the twenty one fifty one, and it wasn't it wasn't kind of one of their higher end chips. It was built to be more of a budget machine because again, this was supposed to be a democratized system, cheap enough for just about anyone to build. But that was bolstered by the Konami SCC or the sound custom chip, which is that which is what gives so many Konami games their particular sound is that the Konami sound. Yeah, yeah. we talk about this a lot is like each uh, cart having a custom sound chip in it. And Konami's is called the Konami SCC. Uh, So the one of the cooler um, coolest things that I'll finish with is that um, this is actually if you go back, we've talked about the uh, what was it? The Nintendo PlayStation, right? Where Mm -hmm. Nintendo and Sony had gotten together. Um, This is actually one example loosely, but an example of Sony and Microsoft getting together far long below long before there was ever any any idea of an Xbox. Uh, Sony actually manufactured MX MSX two systems. So uh, Sony, al- along with Philip, Sanyo, Mitsubishi, Victor, or JVC, uh, Toshiba, National, Panasonic, Canon, Yamaha, Daewoo, and others, all built this system. So wow, yeah. So it was, and it's you know, it, if you played an Atari or a Commodore 64 or like an, one of the really early apples, like the Apple II, very similar system, but uh, but just like huge in Japan, but never really never really caught on in North America. So, yeah. <laughs> that's oh, that's a crazy mashup of 
companies coming together. Yeah. yeah so yeah, I, I just like that there was like a Microsoft Sony console at some point. Yeah. <laughs> kind like of. You could see a lot of, a lot of these developers, uh, you know, dabbling in, in building consoles, right? Cause a lot of, a lot, there's a lot of consoles out there that people don't talk about or, or know about. Yeah. And, uh, it's surprising to hear, you know, like the, uh, like the CDI, right? Like that was what Panasonic. Yeah. Like there's no, no Philips. 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 Yeah. yeah. The Philips CDI. And the Philips, Philips also built this at some point. So yeah. Yeah. So everyone's at some point or another taking a crack at building. Yeah. A the one console. that like the one that was weird to me was Canon, like as in Canon cameras, yeah, yeah. they built it too. <laughs> I just got excited when I heard you say JVC because I'm like, wow, we should do a JVC month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but uh, and also, um, if you go into the history of this console, it got really weird at the end. Like people started making it. There was Yamaha made one uh, specifically for Russian schools. So there was like a Russian, like Russian only with like a Russian keyboard and Russian alphabet made by Yamaha for school. And then later it was like um. Saudi Arabian company, they like leased the designs out to, and they started making it like on contract way later. So this thing had like a, it had a really long tail, but only in like, only in obscure scenarios. Like it basically like found its way into like a crate that floated across the ocean and washed up on somebody's shore. This is the new big thing now. And the, the last version of it was a South Korean, uh, I think it's just, a guy basically figured out a way to shrink it. And like, he like kind of took the original guts, reversed engineered them and shrunk it down and has made like a mini version. <laughs> and that's the last, that's the last thing I've heard about. <laughs> Don't worry. It'll show up on the moon or something. Now. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. Big on the moon for a while. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, and computers back then were a lot like computers today where um, they weren't just for games. They were for everything. Yeah. Right. So yeah, exactly. It may, it's, it sounds odd, but it makes sense that it found its way into like schools and other countries and whatnot. Cause they were probably trying to, you know, give it a multi-purpose function of some kind, you know, it's not just for these awesome games that Mike plays on the podcast. They're uh, <laughs> for, for learning too. Well, I wish our schools got computers that could play uh, Space Ma- Manbo. <laughs> <laughs> Space Manbo number five. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Manbo. Manbo. Uh, but anyway, uh, and I should talk about the uh, the composers too uh, before we go on. The, and by the way, the whole soundtrack, fantastic. Like go listen to the whole soundtrack. You can actually play the game like in Flash stuff online too. If you want to play this game, it's, it's hard as... Uh, Hard as nails. It's very difficult. But um, uh, so the first composer is Yuki Takanuchi, same guy from last week. Um, the other one is Suyoshi Saketo and Mir- uh, Michiru Yamane. I'm gonna say the only one you didn't. That practice. sounded really. That sounded really good. <laughs> yeah, not bad. I broke it down. So uh, and uh, they're all have long histories with uh, Konami and some other companies. But um, with those three composers, there was. Castlevania stuff they worked on. There was um, uh, Ninja Turtle stuff they worked on. All sorts of different games. So all three great composers. So and uh, like I said, whole soundtrack, fantastic. So yeah. So uh, that's it for our picks for this month. And then we'll we're supposed to talk about what I've been playing. And uh, I'm sad to say that I actually haven't been gaming that much in the last little while. I all you're not done Zelda yet. I know, and I have been I have been playing Zelda. So here's the scenario. As I think I talked about on the podcast before, girlfriend also wildly into Zelda. Um, Breath of the Wildly. Breath of the Wildly. <laughs> 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 oh, wow. But uh, she had uh, eye surgery and could not look at screens for some time. And I just felt bad sitting next to her on the couch 
playing Zelda while she had to like basically look away. You could describe it to her. Well, <laughs> but she also doesn't want me to ruin yeah. anything for her, right? So I felt bad. So I didn't play Zelda for a while and then I kind of fell out of it. I've been playing a little bit of Zelda here and there, a little bit of Overwatch there and there. So going back to my staples, but um, and always Smash Bros, which I think I've talked about before, but I play Smash Bros <laughs> every Friday. No, no exceptions. But um, yeah, I just haven't been playing that many games. So uh, what we are going to give away is a game I played a while ago. Uh, and I think is a good giveaway for this podcast specifically because this game has stellar music and was very much praised for it when it came out. And that game is Bastion. Now, do you, either of you have any experience with Bastion? I didn't ask I the do. guys before. Do you? Yeah, I've played Bastion. Play Did you beat it? I didn't like it. You didn't like it? I didn't like it. See, and oh. the thing is, I can't say that I love this game either. Yeah. I played quite a bit of it. I didn't beat it. Um, but I will say this game has stellar music and for the right person, Awesome game. I liked I liked one thing about it, and you know what I'm going to say yeah. is the narration was was yeah. really cool, and that was the one thing I liked about it. But I didn't like the game itself, and I admit that I only played it for like an hour before I just kind of gave up on it. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it, it's up to you, winner of this contest, take it or leave it. But um, it has good reviews though, doesn't it? Has oh, great yeah. reviews. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like quite well liked. Nine fives across the board, pretty much. Like so it's very highly reviewed. Judge for yourself. Exactly. You may, you may yeah. like it. Yeah. Exactly. We can't say that it's a bad game. Just that. We weren't huge fans, uh, but yeah. So I'm gonna give away. I'm gonna add Bastion in. Um, last week we added in uh, Contra Three on the eShop uh, from Jordan, and then um, last month the winner John Lapiki. I messaged him on uh, Twitter, and he messaged me back and said, "I'm too busy to play games right now, and really don't have any consoles. So throw those games back into the throw those wow. games back in the pot. So we're throwing all those games back in. So Double Monkey up. Island Two Special Edition, Blaster Master Zero on 3DS." And uh, Super Hexagon. Sorry, Switch. Or, oh, yeah, it's or on 3DS. Yeah, it's, on yeah, it's on both. You've got uh, the Switch. And yeah, Super Hexagon. And Super Hexagon. So it's going to be a double game month. So you can pick one of those three or Contra 3 uh, or Bastion or whatever we add next week. So no, wait, wait a minute. Clear, We're giving clear away two games. You're giving away two to the same person. One person enters, wins two games. Exactly. Okay. Two out of six of their choice. <laughs> clear that up. There's a, lot of, there's a lot to keep track of there. So hopefully you have your <laughs> pens and pencils handy there. That's right. That's right. So, uh, yeah, so, and uh, how you win that giveaway is the same as always. Just hop on Twitter and interact with us in any way, shape, or form you desire. And for our bonus entry, uh, leave us a review on iTunes or a comment on SoundCloud. So, yeah, we hope you've enjoyed this week of Konami Month, and we will catch you next week with more Konami Fix. Mm -hmm.